So what you end up doing is you have to hire people, right? Uh, which you haven't done before, right? Because you're just by yourself. Right. And then you have to hire people. And that's usually when you, I guess, fail for the first time. Because what the customer expects is basically they expect you to, or others, to deliver the same quality. Um, you know, expect to the rate, like deliver the same quality of work like you're doing. Um, but then you're hiring, you might not have the budget to hire the, you know, the, the experts, the seniors, right? They might not even want to work for you, <laughs> right? Why should they? Because they're really good at these yeah. things. So they can do them by themselves. They don't need you. Uh, so that's kind of a, the, the challenge uh, you have to solve. And I think it's it's uh, still the case for, for if you grow, you, you still run into the same issues, maybe on another scale, but you run into the same issues. So that's really what it was for me, kind of finding good talent, finding good people, and then have them to deliver at the same quality as what you are doing. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of The Dirt. Here on The Dirt, we dive beneath the surface, unearthing tons of unique struggles and triumphs of business leaders like you on the road to success. So today, we are thrilled to welcome Andre Sluska, the dynamic founder and CEO of Datagrate, which is an innovative force leading the charge in enterprise application integration and automation processes. In today's discussion, we're going to talk about how to establish a meaningful strategic partnership on day one and how to navigate the shift from consulting services to building products and software. We also talk about the ever-pressing concerns around data privacy. If you find value in this episode, please share it with someone that you know needs to hear it. And now let's dig into the dirt. All right, welcome Andre. Let's dig right in. Who is Andre and what is Datagrate? Hey, uh, first of all, good morning, Jim, and uh, thanks for having me on your show. I think it's kind of my first podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so wow. I usually do like uh, things like webinars and uh, give conference talks. So um, I yeah. feel honored. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to 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 kick this off. Yeah, me too. Me too. So uh, let's let's dig right in. Talk to me about uh, talk to me about Datagrade. Yeah, so um, Datagrade, we're we're an IT consulting company, a very traditional IT consulting company. Um, we uh, we founded Datagrade back in 2016. Um, before I used to run a company in Germany because that's where I grew up. Um, so. We're traditionally in the enterprise application integration space. So basically what we do is we help our customers um, connect uh, their systems and automate their processes. That's what I've been doing like my, I would say my entire career. Um, I, I started up um, as a as a Java software engineer, um, very typical, <laughs> typical engineering career. Mm -hmm. And uh, I graduated from school in Germany, um, spent a couple of years and then um, accidentally, I think that's probably for like the majority of people on, on how these things happen. You don't, you don't plan them out. Um, I ended up doing integrations. Uh, that was kind of my first, uh, first engineering task um, I got. And um, yeah, now it's like, I don't know, 15 years later or almost 20 years later, I'm still doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in your early days, you guys had a strategic partner that fueled a lot of the early growth in your company, right? Correct. Uh, you mind talking a little bit about that? Correct, correct. 
Yeah. So once I started working as a as a just a consultant as an independent contractor, I basically um, ran into um, and they, they used to be a, I would say startup at that time. Back in the days, they had maybe two or three hundred people. It was a company called Talent. Um, they they had an IPO in I think 2016. But when we started working with them, they were a very small company. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I accidentally ran into them and, um, we kind of, um, did some projects together, some good projects. And, um, for me, it was, um, for me, it was a really good starting point, um, because, um, I was basically a solopreneur. I was just running my own independent business and, um, you know, it's, um, it's not easy to get in touch with um, enterprises and, and, and larger corporations if you're just the small guy. Right. And so with the collaboration of, um, of talent, um, I was being, you know, recognized and recommended uh, into these organizations. And that really helped me a lot um, to, to accelerate my, my career. So I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for, uh, for that partnership um, up until today. So, um, what, what are you guys doing differently today as an organization at DataGrate than you were when you first started out, you know, doing, doing all this work partnered with talent? Yeah. So I would say the most important thing what happened since then is that we kind of learned a lot. Um, so the way we tackled and approached consulting business, uh, was way different um, back in the days because we didn't we didn't really have the experience. So what I had was some sort of technical expertise, but I had no idea on how to handle and technic uh, uh, handle like business customers and and, and business accounts, large enterprises. Mm -hmm. And I think we got really good at it. Um, we got good at like setting the right expectations, managing expectations, um, and then also uh, full like delivering, right? Uh, which is uh, the next thing you need to do. You need not only to acquire new customers, but then you also need to deliver, uh, which is I think way, way different from when you handle like a product business, uh, you know, where you, where you basically ship out the product once you're done and, and you have your customer success and you take care about them. But for consulting, the work really begins the day you, you, you acquire the customer. Really, that's when you have to prove that, that you're able to kind of deliver. So Talend was able to provide that to you guys in the early days, the expertise around managing large enterprise customers. You guys no, got really good at it. And now you do... Yep definitely work with them as as well but a lot of direct work direct outbound relationships yeah that's exactly it so we learned a lot from them by kind of looking at how they handle things um, although they're not a traditional consulting company they're a software vendor but mm -hmm. still they were they were handling these kind of large accounts and that kind of gave us some 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 insight into um, how this how this gets done right from starting from a paperwork perspective um, all the way down to to managing these these accounts um, so that that gave us a lot of insight and um, I I would say I as a founder learned learned a lot from that and I had the ability to to talk to all these types of people right and personas and different personas in that organization because if you're starting as like two three people a uh, company then you might only have the technical expertise right that's that that's that was the case for us. We only had the technical expertise. We were really good at uh, solving the technical issues. That's basically what helped us get into this ecosystem, right? Um, because we had the knowledge on the technical side. We were like eager 
to solve these kind of uh, challenges and technical challenges. But I mean, at the end of the day, we had no idea about enterprise and, yeah. and, and how to do that, right? Uh, yeah. we, we, we didn't know how to market. We didn't know how to hire. We didn't know how to recruit. And so these were all things um, I and, and, and we as a very small team had to kind of learn. And it was a challenge. So what was what was the hardest one of those to solve for? One, what was the hardest one of those challenges to solve for? Uh, scaling. Um, so if you think about it, that you start as a as a solopreneur, that you start as um, just being just being yourself, and um, you can be really good at certain things, right? For me, it was the technical delivery aspect. So mm -hmm. you're really good at doing something and your customer or your, your early adopters, if you want to call it like that, right? They, they like you uh, and then they want to buy more from you. So what you end up doing is you have to hire people, right? Uh, which you haven't done before, right? Because you're just by yourself right. and then you have to hire people. And um, that's usually when you, I guess, fail for the first time um, because, um, what the customer expects is basically they expect you to or others to deliver the same quality, um, you know, expect to the rate, like deliver the same quality of work like you're doing. Um, but then you're hiring. You might not have the budget to hire the, you know, the, the experts, the seniors, right? Um, they might not even want to work for you, <laughs> right? Why should they? Because they're yeah. really good at these things. So they can do them by themselves. They don't need you. Uh, so that's kind of a, the, the challenge uh, you have to solve. And I think it's it's uh, still the case for, for if you grow, you, you still run into the same issues, maybe on another scale, but you run into the same issues. So that's really what it was for me, kind of finding good talent, finding good people, and then have them to deliver at the same quality as what you are doing. So looking back, I mean, I think we lost a good amount of customers, <laughs> to be honest, right? We, we just lost engagements and customers because uh, the, the people I brought in were not able to kind of deliver the same same uh, as what I was doing, uh, you know, so um, that that was a that was a game changer for me to kind of learn, okay, that there's now other things which are important that I need to take care about than what I did in the past. Um, and I think that's true for uh, going from like a very small, you know, one people company going all the way to like, you know, thousands and tens of thousands. Um, it's I'd like to compare it with like uh, children going up, right, where the problems don't go away. They will just change. You know, I don't know if you have if you have kids, but um, you, you always feel like it's getting better. But at the end of the day, it's not getting better. It's just changing, right? The, 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 the problems are just changing, but they're still there just on another scale. And I think that's that's the, the, the case for the business as well. So when I think about the problems I had 10 years ago, it's kind of the still the same problems I'm facing today. But it sounds like um, you've learned a lot from some of those early challenges, right? And, and you know, a lot of business owners they'll they'll hire cheap because they need to. Yeah. Um, and exactly. in a consulting organization where you're being brought in as the expert, that's especially challenging, right? Because you're expecting you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself at the end of the day. Because a good CEO either hires really great or trains and motivates and drives people really great. Excellent CEOs do both, but but if you're finding people, you can't afford to hire the best people. And so what you're doing is you're trying to groom and, 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 and grow people, right? The parent reference, if you will, that you mentioned earlier, um, you, uh, you have a, 
a challenge in front of you that is trying to get people to the point where they are the expert as soon as possible. So what, what, what did you like, what, what were the things that you did to solve for that? Um, like fake it till you make it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the honesty. Kind of, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have to, I mean, you have to figure it out. Um, I mean, we, because you have no other choice, right? If, if you ultimately, if you want to grow your business, that's what you, what you have to go through. You, you have to figure it out. Uh, if you don't figure it out, you, you're not going to grow your business and you're not going to be successful. Uh, because at the end of the day, a business is, is, is all about your team and is all about the people. Um, and, and I really believe in that. Um, because really, as soon as we, let's say had some, some money saved, right. Uh, just to, to put it very simply, um, we, we were able to kind of hire, uh, better people. Um, I gave it more time. Uh, I think that is very important. Uh, I, I gave it more time. So instead of hiring, when you need the people, you really need to hire in advance. Um, and that is, I think one of the early mistakes I, I made, um, I waited too long. Uh, mm -hmm. I just waited too long. And, and, and then you come to a point where you're like, okay, we have so many, you know, contracts, so much business right now. Uh, we need to hire, we need to have these people. And that's when you make the mistakes because, you know, then you're forced to kind of hire, uh, you know, the next best guy. And, uh, that's when everything gets south. Um, so you need to really plan things on the hiring side in advance. Um, and make sure that you give it enough time to find to find the right people and to find the talent. And it does work. So that is something I that is something really I learned that if you give it the time, um, it does work. So it's not that you're not able to find these people just because because somebody might think like, hey, I'm a small business. Nobody wants to work for me. I'm an unknown company. Right. And that's not true. Um, it, it's it's really all about the all about you and the culture in your company, and that can make a difference. So if you have the time to kind of show this and to convince other people that, that you're a, a, a great organization, that you have a great culture, that you have a great team, they are willing to, to join. People are willing to join. It's not that everybody just wants to work for a large company. Uh, that's not the case. Um, yeah. But to find these people just takes time. And, and, and if you have the time and if you give it the time, you can, you can really build a great team. And that is, that is, I think, what we, what we got right in the last couple of years. So um, the, the team I have now, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Um, it's, um, it's still a small team, but I'm really proud of it. And, and, um, everybody pretty much, uh, you know, knows what they need to do and, and, and they were a great fit, you know, they, they fit into the culture, uh, but that took a long time. And what I know is to scale the company from here is again, going to take the time. Um, and I think that's kind of the pressure you have. And that is what I saw, um, for example, with a partner. Um, I used to work or still work together with, with, with talent. If you grow that quickly, um, you will have to make the same mistakes as I did in the early days. Uh, you will have to hire people that quickly and you're not going to be successful. It might just work because you're at such a scale, you know, maybe, um, but it's going to be expensive. Uh, you're going to have to replace people um, in order to, to get the team right. Um, and you might want to burn a lot of cash and, you know, lose a lot of time, uh, by doing that. And I think that's a problem, especially for venture capital, right? Where you just have, where you all of a sudden get, you know, 
massive amount of money, like massive uh, for the size you are. And then you have to scale. And then I'm always thinking myself, how would I do that? How would I find and, and, and keep the culture I build in my team? Uh, you know, how, how could I scale that? And, and I think it's, it's very hard. I don't want to say it's impossible, but I think it's very hard and you're going to pay a price for that uh, for sure. Um, so so you, you mentioned this word culture um, a few times, right? Um, so when you think of the culture at Datagrate and the the employee value proposition, if you will, or the value to people, new employees, current employees that you're bringing on mm -hmm. board, what does that what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so. And, and, and it's hard to answer because there is no, there is no easy answer to that. It, it's like, I don't like to call it family because we're, we're essentially a business, not a family, right? Uh, we're, we're here to do business. We're here to make profits and money and uh, earn salaries. So that's, I know that that's everybody's goal. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. But outside of that, um, I think it's, it's important that the people can, can work together and have the right mindset. Um, so for us, for example, it's, it's very important that you have this kind of entrepreneurial mindset uh, because we're a small company. It's like, really, we don't have, we don't have super crazy established processes. Like you might maybe find at a large, you know, company where they have mm -hmm. this process and they just can plug you in and say, okay, um, here's, you know, here's our ticketing system and please answer the, you know, we don't have that type of structure. And so what that basically means is we have to find the people who can, who can, uh, uh deal, who can deal with that type of environment. Right. Um, and not everybody can do that. And this is what we really make, make clear from the beginning when we're going through the, the interviews and, and our recruitment processes that we really make sure that the candidates understand that. This is not going to be a typical nine to five environment where you can you can just take your work, do it and go home. This is not this is not the case. We're too we're too small for that. So if you're looking to do that and there is many people who want that type of environment, that's OK. But that's something you will probably find at a large established organizations. That's where they really have that type of job. We don't we don't have that. And I don't think we will have that for the foreseeable future. So we need to find these people who are willing, um, you know, to to go, let's say, above and beyond, really, and, and, and think things really through. That's that's the type of mindset uh, we need to have, because it's not that you come here on day one and start and, and you know, there is your handbook and now you just have to follow the rules um, and, and, and do what I'm telling you or what your manager is telling you. Uh, you need to come up with your own stuff. And that's challenging, but there is people out there who love that type of challenge. And that's the kind of people we would love to hire and want to have in our organization. And then things really work out very well. That's, that's what I learned. If, if you have the right type of candidate at this position, uh, you don't have to do anything. I'm not, I'm not here to train somebody, right? I mean, maybe if we hire somebody for an internship, that's something different, but I'm not here to, to train you on the job. Uh, that is, that's not, that's not my goal. I, I, I need to have people. And <clears throat> I think that's true for everybody in especially smaller organizations. You need to get these type of people who will basically tell you what to do, right? That's, that's essentially what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm trying not to be like the, and I'm absolutely not the type of micromanager where I come in and say, so, uh, these are your tasks. Please, please do that and follow the rules. I'm absolutely not a, you know, I, I'm not that type of person. Um, and, and I think I never will. So I'm looking for the people who come here and kind of 
you know, tackle these challenges by themselves. And uh, we have a great team. Uh, now we have a great team. It, it, it took a long time, but we have a great team where I know that, um, you know, where, where I can trust everybody. And I know they will they will do that even without me being in the room or monitoring them or doing stuff like that. They will they will just they will just do it and, and, and make sure it, it gets done from from, you know, from start to end. What's what's one of the problems that you guys are solving for clients or a client that um, makes you the most proud of how, you know, you mentioned the team and and the way that they interact and the way that they're they're driven together. Like, are there any particular use cases that you can think of with a client that, that come to mind of you just like st- took a step back and you were like, wow, you guys killed it? Um, that happens all the time. Yeah, that happens all the time because um what we are all about is the technical challenges. Um, that's basically what I was talking about earlier, where I said, well, I think as a, as a contractor, I was able to kind of solve technical challenges really well. And uh, that's what I'm proud of, what my team is capable of doing. Um, so like I said, we're in the integration space and uh, I'm, I'm sure we can talk about that later, but um, there is there is a huge variation of different requirements you have to fulfill. and. We love to be more on the technical, deep tech, challenging side. That's where we excel. Uh, that's what we love. Um, you know, so uh, uh, like sending an email, uh, if you if you get a new client and your Salesforce coming up, that's not the type of challenge we are looking for, right? So uh, we, we want to build the large scale uh, integration systems. Um, we we want to do and we love to do the complicated stuff. And uh, I think my team, um, the, the type of engineering uh, personas I have here, they're really capable of doing that. Uh, that's what we're proud of. And that's really the kind of compliments we usually get from our clients is that we come in when nobody else was able to get it done and, and, and we somehow got it done. And uh, that, that's my team. That's, that's really what I like. Can you, can you give me an example or give us an example of one of those technical challenges? Uh I don't know if I have something, uh, but I mean, usually the challenges are um, around dealing with um, legacy, um, legacy systems and connecting legacy systems uh, because everybody can call a REST API and, and handle some JSON stuff. That's that's the easy part. Um, you know, that's that's almost standardized and, and, and it's good that it is standardized. Um, but there is still so many variations of older legacy systems out there um, that you have to connect and have to deal with um, where, you, where, where, you know, the regular engineer might turn their head around and say, well, what is that? And, uh, you know, things like that, things like security, uh, complicated uh, security things. Um, and, um, yeah, I would say today it's, it's, it's all about scaling. Uh, that's that's the, the biggest type of issue. How can you um, build a system which works at scale um so and which is efficient by doing that um you know so i think the, getting the balance right um that is a hard part um and solving that is not is not very easy because you you can easily maybe solve it on a small scale like have one api request coming in and handle it but if you get thousands tens of thousands um, that's really where you have to get into the details, you know, uh, where you have to get in the, like in the dirt, right? Yeah. That's, uh, where you have to dig deep and have to have a good understanding of like the whole system and the whole approach. It's, it's not enough to just know your integration system. You might have to go 
deep into uh, things like networking, uh, things like uh, security. Um, and that's where you have to have a good picture um, of the, the, the uh, engineering environment. So Tailand, who, who helped you guys scale in the early days as a, as a yeah. strategic partner, obviously one of the leaders in, 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 in IPASS um, and has been for quite some time. But mm. do you guys work with other, now that you're not dependent on Tailand for DealFlow, mm. um, are, you, um, are you working, are you platform agnostic in terms of uh, how you work or you know, is it still all around the Tailand platform? Um, that's a good question. So um, Tailand has been challenging for us in that regard um, that they have been not the perfect partner for us. So they were a very good partner for, um, for the early days to, to, to kind of uh, scale our business. And, and like I said, I'm very thankful, but um, when it comes to solving technical challenges, um, the talent platform is, uh, when it comes to application integration, is not the, the Mercedes out there. It's not the, the best one. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's kind of challenging. So um, we we were really struggling kind of solving particular problems with that type of platform. The good thing about the talent platform and what, what we as a team always liked about it was that they are uh, based on an open source, uh, that, they, that they basically use open source technology under the hood. And uh, so the longer we worked with talent, the more exposure we had to open source technologies. Apache is a good, good, good uh, community here. So they, they use a lot of Apache technologies. So what we did is we started using these kind of open source technologies, uh, trying to solve our customers' problems without, uh, without having this traditional software provider. Sure. Um, and uh, that's where we got really good at, uh, where we got good results with. So we started digging more into this open source uh, thing. We were, at that point, we were obviously losing the kind of uh, handholding from like a bigger strategic partner, which um, brings its own challenges. Sure. Um, but we were more independent. Um, you know, we could, we were able to kind of go out to a customer on a green field and, and, and build, uh, really build a platform using open source components without creating any kind of, uh, vendor lock-in or, you know, being, being more independent. Um, and that helped us. So that's what we have been doing a lot. Uh, we started building our own products um, on top of that, um, because we, we were seeing firsthand the, the, the challenges mm -hmm. um, companies were having with these legacy uh, um, legacy providers, I would say. I mean, 15 years ago, they were the, the new thing. And now it's now people are starting <laughs> talking about the, the legacy providers already. That's how, how fast this market is evolving. So these new products, you, you picked, I don't know if you saw my ears kind of got a lot bigger when you said we've got new products. Um, so you're, you're, you're evolving from just simply a services organization, a consulting expert consulting group um, who builds other solutions to having your own IP and, and software that you guys are rolling out. Exactly. Um, wow. It's been always a dream, I have to say. So um, consulting is... Uh, really nice on the revenue and profit perspective because it makes it really easy, I tend to say. I mean, I'm not saying consulting is easy in particular, but um, 
basically, if you get this hiring right, if you find the right team, um, the people will sell themselves. It, it, it just works over time. It just works. Um, scaling is hard because you cannot just hire thousands of people and it, it, it's kind of a challenge. Um, you're not going to get any venture capital for it or anything like that, you know, because of the lack of scaling capabilities, which is okay. Um, but it's easy to make profit. It's easy to make, to make, make money out of it. Um, so, and what was important for me is that we don't stay in the consulting business forever. So we have been like, when I looked into the strategic partner, we had like talent. Um, I, I, I looked into their, what like departments they have, like they have, um, R and D, they have product management. And if I look at the slides and the kind of work they do, I love it. Um, because that is really kind of what thrills me building new products. And we have done that a lot. Uh, but always for our customers, right? Uh, we solve their challenges and, and, and build new products and, and innovate for our customers, but not so much for ourselves. And um, yeah, I think that's kind of what we uh, kind of, the, the transition we're going through right now is basically, and I think that's a lot of people trying to do that. Uh, the transition we're going from like being a pure consulting company to becoming more like a software vendor. And, um, yeah, that's the challenge we're facing right now and uh, we're tackling right now and it's, uh, it's exciting. So, um, for others that might be going through that or might be a little mm. bit behind you in their evolution of their own business from consulting more towards products and software, what, um, what, what lessons have you learned already in that transition that you can pass on to others? <laughs> I think you're in a, so if you start off with consulting, it might be the more boring part, right? Of the business in general, probably a lot of people will agree. However, it gives you a lot of insight uh, because you're talking firsthand to your customers and what we basically saw, and, and that's, I think the advice I could probably give to others is what I was looking for is a pattern of issues, right? Because ultimately with a product, you want to solve problems, right? That's why you would build and, and be able to sell a product. So by doing the consulting, you see and get the, get the issues on your table every day. And if you're able to recognize a pattern in there, not a like unique issue, you know, you can't make money out of that. But if, if you find a pattern like this particular problem comes up with like 80% of the clients we have. I mean, that's a good starting point. That That's a good starting point. And I think that's how a lot of businesses basically came up from consulting, got into product because they, they, they knew it. And you have a few good relationships already. You have a good, so that's basically how we were able with our product, kind of the, the first sales we got was in our network. Hmm. Right. We, we kind of knew that the people trusted us already. Our customers usually trust us. And uh, so that made it easier for us to kind of pitch our idea, pitch our new product and say, well, would you like to adopt it? Although, you know, it's not being a you know, well-known brand in the industry. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. And um, as you guys are uh, looking forward to the rest of this year and maybe a couple of years down the road, how do you how do you see that business evolving even more so towards software is it you know is it is it a couple different entities where you're going to carve out the software business is it you know all one business where you're just going to little by little start to drive more software revenue and and um and evolve it that way and any any insight there yeah for us it's the latter 
So um, I think for us, the goal ultimately, and that might take us, you know, a few few years from now, but ultimately my goal is not to run two businesses, like a service business and a product business, um, because I believe and what I learned for me uh, might be different for others, but I'm not particularly good at it doing two things at the same time. So I want to do one thing and do it right. And um, I know that the, the service aspect of the business has its own challenges, right? And um, I, I, I want to tackle them right. And um, if, if I were to grow this, this product business, I don't think I will have enough time or capacity um, to kind of work on the, on the service business. So for me, it's a transition. And um, I mean, talking to my team, I think we're all eager to do that. So everybody in my team is up for the challenge. Um, everybody wants to do the product. Um, everybody understands that we have to do the service to kind of get the revenue and, and, and take basically bootstrap it, um, which, which we all like, uh, bootstrap the product further. Um, so we need to have that service revenue, but we don't need to have that forever. So what I could see doing us is, um, having like, you know, 80% right now on the service side and 20% on the product side. I could see that turn around into being uh, 80%. That's my goal, being 80% product and 20% service where the services backed would basically just help the product succeed um, and not so much being the profit driver, if, if you know what I mean. Um, so that's kind of the, the ultimate goal where we want to where we want to go uh, in the next, I'd say, two to three years. Um, and I think we're going to get a good path right now. So let, let's shift. You bring up some things happening um, from a market perspective. You bring up some things happening, um, you know, internally in your own evolution. Um, one thing I want to talk, I want to spend some time on is the, the evolution of the sector that you operate in, which mm -hmm. I think is, is really interesting. And, and I don't think enough people really truly understand the impact that integration platforms that, that I pass um, is is having on ongoing transformation, digital transformation on, yeah. you know, data ops on all sorts of things. So when you look at um, the uh, the the general trends shaping the future of IPaaS uh, as a whole, the IPaaS market, um, how what are those, and and how can how can businesses stay ahead of the curve given that it's such a rapidly evolving sector? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think what you have to understand is that if, if you look at the technical aspect, really what we're trying to solve here um, is nothing really that new. Um, so we're, we're essentially we're connecting systems, right? So and that that kind of um, you're going to have that type of issue as soon as you and you might know that from your own business or from making podcasts. So as soon as you ha start having like more than one tool, you somehow have data in you have you already have two data silos, right? So you're kind of creating two silos, and um, you're, you're creating your your new business processes for your podcast, for your business, for whatever. And uh, that's basically when you start having that type of issue. So and just going back, I mean, you can go back to the to the seventies. So basically, when enterprise IT became a thing, um, you know, maybe SAP, for example, was a player back in the days. So they were trying back in the days. They were trying to solve every aspect of your business in one platform, and how they were able to succeed 
how a company such as SAP was able to succeed with that, uh, and I think it was in the 70s, maybe 80s around, is that they were saying that all the different aspects of your business, like finance and warehouse, that they will be integrated, that they will be integrated in one system. So you don't have to print out what you created in your finance and bring it over to the warehouse team. We have that all integrated. And businesses love that because it made them, it made it so much easier. And it basically, and that's what we're trying to do still today, it automated things. Mm -hmm. And um, now as you look back, how the landscape evolved, um, companies are having hundreds of systems these days, right? It's not, I don't know any company anymore who would say, well, we only have this one system, let's say it's SAP or Salesforce, and we're going to do everything in that one system. Right. That, it doesn't work like that, right? Because you want to you wanna pick the best um, products for your problem, right? So in a warehouse system, uh, might be there might be a different player out there, which is better than maybe SAP or whatever, right? So you want to pick best of breed, essentially. And that's why the landscape grew so much, right? Because first of all, it's easier for uh, SaaS startups to kind of create a, you know, create a business that was not possible in the 70s. You know, right. uh, I mean, it was just impossible. Today, everybody can solve a particular business problem uh, pretty quickly and, and, and build a new product and, and, and market it and go to market with it. And um, it, if you found this pattern I was talking about earlier, and uh, you can you can solve it. People are going to buy it. So that ultimately led to this kind of huge variety of different applications, um, even if you're a small company, have. And um, that's great uh, because that gives the business a lot of opportunities um, to save costs and to 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 be more efficient, make things faster and better for their clients. But ultimately, it leads to this issue, well, how am I going to integrate all these different applications now? Um, right. How I'm going to make sure that the data silos are integrated, that I have like, um, you know, so it, it creates all these types of issues, as you can imagine. And um, so basically, that is what we are trying to solve uh, in the iPaaS space. Uh, we're trying to solve that type of problem. Um, if you look into the marketing strategies right now, they were talking about um, process automation, automation, uh, robotic process automation um, is a big thing. I don't know exactly where it's going. Um, AI will obviously come up into that picture as well. Um, but yeah, right now we're, we're, we're connecting all these different systems basically to, to automate your business and to, to make things uh, more, more efficient. Yeah, and the more the more systems that organization has, the bigger the problem gets, right? Is is kind of where you're where you're going with this, and and you yeah. know, in an ideal world, a business only has one point of entry for each data point, right? And and what we see is that's not right. usually the case. That's right? that's usually not the case, and and it has the problem has grown that big that I would say almost all of the companies I'm talking to today. The larger corporations, they have more than one integration platform to solve that issue. So you would think they have one big platform in the middle end, but no, that's not the case. I mean, they, they even build their own silos and integration silos within the organizations, which again creates more problems um, 
on, on, on that end, right? So scaling um, is, is, is becoming more and more a problem uh, because, or, or an issue we have, a challenge we have to tackle uh, because the number of systems and the amount of data going through it has grown tremendously over the last, I would say, 10 years. Uh, you know, these days, everybody wants to build their own API. You can even sell yeah. the data. You, you can sell your business processes. You, you can automate it. And that's, that's the big trend we're, we're, we're seeing. Um, and, and yeah, there, there is no way back. So as, as, as data privacy and security concerns, which you've brought up a few times, continue mm -hmm. to grow, how do iPaaS providers and other folks like yourself in the ecosystem ensure the protection of that sensitive information while also facilitating seamless data integration? Like how, how do you play that? How do you play that balance? It's complicated and it kind of um, needs a lot of different departments to work together. Um, so from what I have seen, what we would be able to do on the integration side, right? Like thinking about creating new products by building APIs, offering new services. Um, we're oftentimes handcuffed that like, hey, we can't do that. Uh, we're not allowed to do that. Legal says we can't offer that type of service. We can't take that data into account and help another customer. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. we're, we're handcuffed. Um, but that's not a problem we can solve on the, on the integration side. That's, that's obviously a legal problem. Um, it's probably a good thing that you're handcuffed at some point, right? That you can't do everything uh, uh, with all the data, um, you know, uh, that there is like legal limitations. Um, but we have to work together. We have to work together with the different departments to make sure that what we are creating here and what we are doing with the data is is basically legal. And and how do, how, how do you guys... Um, <clears throat> address the challenges of handling and processing, you know, what I can only imagine is like an ever increasing volume, exponential increase in volume of, of data generated by the businesses mm -hmm. and consumers. Like how, how does that play a role into the same equation? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because really that's kind of the, the, one of the biggest issues we see with our clients is, um, as I said earlier, you can do it on a small scale. It's easy. You, you might only need like one, you know, one guy who can somehow handle it. But once you have to scale it and at some point every business wants to scale it, um, it becomes very challenging on the technical side. The good thing though is that the, the, the progress we made over the last 10 years on the technical side is, is really good. And we can, in the iPass market, and that's basically what we are doing with our products, um, we can take advantage of it. So one thing is cloud, obviously. Um, we basically try to get every customer we have somehow into the cloud because that makes it so much easier to handle it. Uh, yeah. One big topic is uh, we're working on is Kubernetes. Um, so Kubernetes is, is, is really going to be the platform which for us on the integration side solves almost, I don't want to say all issues, but almost solves the scaling issue um, because it makes it now so much easier to kind of build and maintain a system on a large scale. You can scale it up and you can scale it down because that's the other side of the things. It's not only you have to scale it up, you also have right. to scale it down because it's expensive. 
uh, the right. cloud infrastructure servers. Um, that is an expensive part of your business once you start scaling it. So what we see is companies reaching out to us and saying, well, how can we do that efficiently? Like, okay, we scaled it and now we have like 50 servers here, but we're having this massive amounts of bills getting from, you know, companies like AWS or Azure. And it, it's just, it, it doesn't seem to be right. What can we do? And um, luckily th there is now, uh, you know, Kubernetes became a thing. Um, it's now widely adopted. It's it's now the industry standard, I would say, which is which is important in the enterprise IT world. That if you invest in something, you want to make sure that it's the standard that you can keep it. That's going to be around for ten years because, like I said, the the market is evolving that quickly, and you you really need to be careful that you don't dip into the wrong technologies. You know, technologies with that don't exist tomorrow anymore because they seem to be the latest and greatest thing today, but not tomorrow anymore. Right. And I think what we got now with Kubernetes and the cloud providers all managing that is that we have that type of technology uh, where we can bat on, uh, where you can where you can put your money on and, and make sure you get this return on investment over the next 10 years and it'll be still around. And that really helps a lot of Customers love it. So as soon as we migrate them over and start doing these containerized, uh, you know, microservices and and and, and put the, these things into Kubernetes, that's really when they excel and when they love it. Uh, and we we haven't had any issues with that type of technology. So we're we're pretty happy to have that. Um, our platform Jetic, uh, we built it on top of that, um, and and it's been very successful with a lot of our customers. So as you guys look into the next couple of years and you mentioned AI as, as kind of, uh, you know, obviously one of the hot trends going on right now in general, but also playing a role in iPaaS, you know, what, whether it's AI or machine learning, you know, um, what, what, how do you see the role of, of AI and ML um, in the development and enhancement of these iPaaS solutions? That is a very good question, um, and that depends on how the AI technology will evolve in the next few years. So let's put it like that. If you would have asked me that question six months ago, I would have probably said, well, we're not there yet. Yeah. Um, so now I'm playing around with uh, ChatGPT, and it kind of you know blew my mind um, because right now I'm like, do we even need an iPad solution in the next five years anymore? I mean that I mean what I was talking about right like hey we, we create these hundreds and hundreds of SaaS applications right where you have like think about a Salesforce CRM application mm -hmm. um wouldn't it be great to have your own AI model and network where you just dump all the data and then instead of having like a like a BI tool uh building these reports you can just ask it like right. do it for me and it and it knows how to do it and will do it so maybe we won't even have traditional databases anymore maybe the network itself you know what i mean will be able to kind of store that data right. and if that's the case i don't need an ipass anymore <laughs> i mean seriously because everything will be in one you know maybe we can go back from having hundreds and hundreds of applications maybe we we're going to scale it down again because the the AI network and model will be able to solve a majority of the issues where I have deployed hundreds of applications right now. But that remains to be seen, right? I mean, we're not there yet. Um, I don't know. 
So I think for the foreseeable future, um, what we see internally or what we think might work very well, and we're kind of exploring it right now a little bit, is how can it assist, right? How can it assist a, a, a developer or an engineer to be more efficient? Um, you know, like things like data mapping, uh, things like uh, regular expressions, um, you know, the kind of details you need to work out where like you as an engineer, you need to go into the documentation of the software and really read through it and, and you know, figure out all the details and then go back and forth with your software. That takes a lot of time. And uh, we were already able to use ChatGPT for these types of scenarios that we said, can you just generate me an expression which does X, Y, Z? And it would do it and I would copy paste it and put it into my integration platform. So I think that's good. Uh, that's going to help the developer. We'll still need the developer. I don't think they will become obsolete in the next few years. We will mm -hmm. still need him, but I think he will be able to have a greater output, which is very good because we're low on developers, as everybody knows. So having the engineer being more efficient uh, with okay. these types of tools will help. So I can see us, for example, plugging in AI capabilities um, into these kind of strategic areas where we know it takes the developer a lot of time to figure it out, where it can kind of generate something on the fly. I, I love your passion and knowledge on the subject. So we're going to have to do a part two where we focus on <laughs> vector databases and AGI and some of these efficiency and effectiveness that you're talking about yeah. and the way that development is done. Um, but for now, I'm going to hop into our founder five because you've given so much value today. I want to tie us off on a great note. So first question for you as part of the founder five is drum roll, um, the top metric or KPI that you are relentlessly focused on? I would say for us that the top metric is cash and revenue. It's that easy. Um, I don't have anything more to say about that. I think once we go more into this product and maybe have some product that grows, then there will be other factors. But for us right now, we're bootstrapping. So yep. that's what I'm all about. I want to bootstrap this, this, this product business. And what I need for that is cash. It's as easy as that. So as long as we have cash in the bank, as long as we do revenue and our customers are happy, I know it'll keep us going and we have more time to work on a great product. All right. Top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. I think we talked about it a lot. And for me, it's, it's really about hiring, um, become good at hiring. Um, if you're not good at hiring, uh, because you can't solve everything by yourself, it's not the idea of a business. So become good at hiring. Love it. All right. Favorite book or podcast aside from the dirt, of course, that's helped you to grow as a founder. Yeah. Same topic. Uh, there is a book out there. I think it's not super well known, but I think it's a great book and it's called Recruit Rockstars. Mm -hmm. And it's a practical practical guide on um, how to hire people. And it gave me a lot of insight and it's, it's, it's a great book. It's, 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 I think it's written by a, a uh, recruiter uh, who worked for large companies doing that. And he kind of came up with a strategy on how to do it. And um, it, it gives a good insight. It's uh, yeah, Recruit Rockstars. Yeah, I've actually never read that one, so that's mm -hmm. going right on my list. All right, piece of advice that counters traditional wisdom. Uh, I would say don't do what everybody else is doing. Um, and 
by that, I mean, if everybody else is doing what, what the other people are doing, we have no progress. We're not moving forward. Um, you know, if, 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 if you were to ask if, if, if your business idea is a good idea, if you want to move forward with it, you, you're going to get so much negative feedback. You can see it online. Everybody is, uh, you know, if, if you look at Elon Musk, for example, right, there is, Whenever I pull something up on social media about Elon Musk, it's, there was so much negativity in the comments, mm -hmm. uh, right? But he achieved something. So, um, you know, be, be that somebody. Love it. All right. What is going to be the title of your autobiography when you've set out and achieved everything that you set out to do? Yeah, that might be a little bit disappointing because uh, I'm not going to write one. I'm just not good at writing. I, I kind of hate writing books or something like that. So, um there is no title because there will be no book. I don't think there will ever be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's say it's a biography then and somebody else writes it. What would that be called? No, who would write a biography about me? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'll write it for you, Andre. <laughs> Thank you so awesome. much. Yeah, awesome, man. Um, all right. Well, you've given a ton to our listeners today. So uh, time for a little bit of self-promotion. How can those listening help you and the DataGrade team out? Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's about our product. Um, so as we talked about, uh, we're, we, we think um, we figured out a very good approach on how to how to solve um, the scaling issue, uh, the vendor lock in issue um, on the integration market. So whenever you want to build an integration or know somebody who has issues on how to automate and connect their systems, integrate their things, um, yeah, feel, feel free to reach out. Huh? And what's the best way for, for folks to get in touch with you, Andre? Um, probably email. Um, so my email is basically my first name, dot last name at datagrade.com. That's, that's a good way to reach me. And just in case people are listening in, what are your first name and last name at datagrade.com? So it's, it's andre.slutska at datagrade.com. S-L-U-C-Z-K-A. Yeah, that's a complicated part of my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much, Andre. This has been a pleasure. Mm -hmm. Thanks for joining us on The Dirt. And uh, rock on, everyone. Keep grinding. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jim. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.